Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So my wife and I, we live in, uh, currently live in a two-bedroom apartment with, that faces west. So we have beautiful views on the sunset. And Rondelay knows this. One of, I say it all the time. One of my favorite times of day is when the sun is setting. And I don't, I don't look at the sun. I look at what the sun lights up. It makes everything a beautiful glow of yellow and orange. And when it strikes it, it seems light itself is coming off of that object. So in our living room, the sun floods the living room, and we turn all the lights off, and the light just fills the room with this yellow or orange glow, depending on how low the sun is. It's beautiful. But sometimes that sun can be oppressive. So we live in the, in the second story of a brick apartment building, and this leaves us needy for the deliverance of air conditioning in the late afternoon and evening hours. But what makes it even more oppressive is that our air conditioning is actually not central air. It's just a unit in, in the wall in our living room. So we have to set up an elaborate system of fans and uh, placed properly to get the air back from the living room, back into the hallway, and another one there to, to shoot it either into Shiloh's bedroom, my daughter, or into our bedroom, all depending on when her nap time is and when we're going to bed. And based off of we don't want to keep her door open for lighting, it's, it's complex. But... Gross as it may be, we find ourselves helpless to keep our sheets dry without this system. <laughs> but this is often how oppression works. Without something or someone outside of yourself to intervene, the victims are helpless. And David finds himself a victim in this psalm and asks God in verse 13, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates of death. Now, I'm not saying that the son has afflicted it or hates me, uh, but I am saying that like David, we live in a world where the unjust oppress the weak, the helpless, and the needy. By very definition, those who are helpless must cry out to justice from an outside source. They're helpless. And our passage tells us that the Lord is this safe and just judge. So we will unpack those two things in, the, in our time. The Lord is a just judge, and the Lord is a safe judge. I'm going very anti-Presbyterian by having a two-point sermon instead of a three-point, but I'm risking it for the biscuit. Okay, first, the Lord is a just judge. At first glance, this psalm, I'll be honest, may seem harsh or unmerciful even. Verse 6 says, The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. Here the psalmist is rejoicing in God's justice 
and through that the destruction of their enemies. And like this psalm, there are other psalms in the Bible that seem hard to maybe reconcile. For another example, Psalm 59, the psalmist prays, For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. So I recognize some of you listening to this psalm or to Psalm 59 may wrestle with these kind of psalms. And I wrestle too, I'll be honest. How can we read or even sing this psalm as we're about to do at the end of the service with peace in our hearts, knowing that scripture says in other places to bless those who persecute you? So I I suppose it is possible that these psalms were maybe written just for Israel and not for New Testament Christians. And the other objection to this is that, honestly, some Christians have taken these psalms and used them in sinful ways that have wounded others, maybe even wounded you. And yet it's interesting, isn't it, that there are other areas in our life where we actually do this very thing, where we turn to the right authorities and cry out to them for justice against the wrongdoers. If a man has been arrested six, seven times for drunk driving, but goes out one more time and ends up killing someone in an accident, would we not say that mercy had its chance six times before? Why does he still have his driver's license? We ask for justice. When someone is, wrong, is killed wrongly, do we not ask that the situation be investigated and justice be brought to bear? It would be terrifying if we lived in a world where there were no consequences for abuse of power and abuse of a power in the, in the hands of those who hold it and those authorities. So we, we may resist these kinds of psalms having genuine objections, but we may be doing so not realizing that we desire the very thing it advocates, justice for the oppressed. We may resist them because we may not have thought about just how rampant evil is in the world in which we live. We may resist these psalms because of how they have been abused in the past. We may, we may resist these psalms because we may not trust the God, honestly, to whom they are prayed. But these psalms, and our particular psalm today, Psalm 9, have been given to us because very evil men and women do exist. Because children are killed. Because girls are trafficked. Because genocide is practiced. You know this. I could go on. But these psalms exist because there is a just God who judges rightly and fairly. So one commentator said it well when he put it this way. I'll I'll read a quote for you. Christians should not rush to sling wholesale curses against God's present enemies. Nor should they be troubled, though, when they come across an imprecatory prayer. Instead, they should pray according to God's will, knowing that justice belongs to him and that he will repay. It is for this reason that David prays to a just judge. As verse 15 and 16 says, The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, and the net that they hid, their foot has been caught. The Lord 
has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. You see, when David prayed and sang this psalm, he was not taking justice and judgment into his own hands, but was rightly placing it in God's. Verse 4 says, For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgments. David cries out for justice to a just judge. In March of last year, COVID was still fresh and in full swing. We know this. And no matter what your position on COVID may be right now, uh, last March, few had sure knowledge of just how deadly it was or wasn't. So while not knowing how bad it was, but knowing people were dying, one individual sought to make some money unjustly. Rather than seeking to save lives, this individual bought 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer in the state of Tennessee, leaving the state empty, and while others in the country struggled to find just one. And he promptly began to sell them for $70 a bottle. Mm. <laughs> well, the websites he was selling them on immediately saw how unjust this was, and they took down all of his listings, leaving him then with 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer in a basement, now full. So this man saw it as a business rather than seeing it as people's lives being threatened. After facing much backlash, thankfully in the end, he stated he was making plans to donate the rest of the hand sanitizer. I, I don't know if that came to pass. But while we do not know God's thoughts in this particular circumstance honestly, we can perceive that there is certainly a measure of God's justice present in this story as a man who sought to make money off of others' suffering is then stuck with less money and less storage room in his basements. So it is again against injustice that David cries out to a judge, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Mothers, fathers, do you trust God will be just when people wrong you or your children? Kids, do you trust God will be just when the bully calls you names or spread lies about you? Workers, can you trust God will right the wrongs your employer may have done against your client or against you? Students, can you trust God will be just when a teacher grades unfairly, unfairly or clearly picks favorites? These are hard questions I'm asking honestly, but with hard answers because it requires letting go of wanting to take justice into our own hands against the wrongdoer and putting it in God's. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should not go to the a proper authority when needed. Kids, if someone is bullying you, you should probably go to your parents or a teacher. Adults, when something illegal is taking place, you should go to the police or the proper authorities. But what I am saying is that after right action has been taken, whether we see justice happen or not, we should place our trust in our God who is a just judge. 
Does this mean that we hope for judgment, pain, and suffering, and hell for the wrongdoer? Well, not exactly. For example, there's a man um, that I had to study for, and uh, study this man in seminary, uh, who diligently sought to advance the cause of abortion. So I have felt genuine, after having studied him, heated anger towards this person, like hot anger. And I've had to pray for justice in this situation and peace in my heart. And in my prayer, I ask that the Lord bring justice upon the murder that he has enabled. But also in that prayer, I've, I've had to ask God to be merciful that his, this justice be ultimately be born by Christ upon the cross should this man put his hope and faith and trust in God. But I still pray for judgment against this evil. God is so amazing, isn't he? We pray for justice from him, just as David in the psalm does, because he is a just judge. But the only way, the only way we can pray this justly is because he has already judged us and seen us rightly through his son. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's incredible irony that those who deserve judgment are now the ones asking for justice. But it's true. We can request this not foolishly, but truly, because God is both just and he is the justifier. The one to put the judgment and punishment we deserve upon his son who lived, died, and rose again for us. What an incredible God. Because God is a just judge, we must cry out to him. And not only is God a just judge, he is a safe judge. Let's read again verses 9 through 12. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put tr their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So there are two sides to justice, yes? Judgment for the wrongdoer and advoc advocacy, advocating for the weak. And David lifts up the name of the Lord, praising him that he not only executes judgment, but he is also a safety, a safe place for the oppressed. He advocates for the weak. He does not forget the needy. The hope of the poor will not perish forever. And let's be honest, it's tough because there is a lie that is easy to believe that says the poor, the needy, and the helpless have less to offer because of what they have a lack in. That maybe they are less human or maybe less of an image bearer of God, that they bear God's image less. So I'm not saying people openly say this lie, but it's actually quite easy to live it. Think about this. Whenever you have found yourself in need, how much easier has it been to think less of yourself? If you've ever gone uh, to a, uh, a counselor for counseling or to a psychologist for therapy, how ashamed may have you have felt to tell others that you're needing this help? But everything David writes about in this psalm 
points to a God who does not see it this way. He does not look down upon the helpless, the oppressed, the poor, and the needy. He does not forsake those who are, seek him. He is mindful of those whose blood has been shed. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. God is not only a just judge. He is a safe, loving judge. So I am a child in many ways. And one of the ways is uh, that I'm still a child is my, my deep love for Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> in a particular Winnie the Pooh story, we find Pooh and Piglet in serious danger. They find themselves helpless and needy as they discover the tracks of not one, not two, not three, but four woozles. Do you see, Piglet? Look at the tracks. Another woozle has joined them. And so it seemed to be there were the tracks crossing over each other here and getting muddled up with each other over there. But quite plainly, every now and then, the tracks of four sets of paws. Uh, I, I think, said Piglet, that, we, uh, that I've just remembered something. I've just remembered I forgot to do something yesterday and shan't do tomorrow. So, so, I, so I suppose I really ought to go back and do it now. Well, we'll do it this afternoon and I'll come with you, said Pooh. Oh, it isn't the sort of thing you can do in the afternoon, said Piglet quickly. It's a very particular morning thing that has to be done in the morning, and, and if possible, between the hours of, uh, what time would you say it is? About 12, said Pooh, looking at the sun. Well, between, as I was saying, the hours of 12 and 5, so really, dear old Pooh, if you'll excuse me, wh what's that? Pooh looked up at the sky, and he saw and looked up on the branches of a big oak tree, and there he saw a friend, his, friend of his. Why? It's Christopher Robin, he said. Ah, oh, then you'll be all right, said Piglet. You'll be quite safe with him. And he trotted off home as quickly as he could, very glad to be out of danger again. Christopher Robin came slowly down his tree. Silly old bear, he said. What were you doing? Wait a moment, said Pooh, holding up his paw. And he sat down and thought in the most thoughtful way he could think. And he fitted his paw into one of the tracks, seeing it match perfectly. He scratched his nose once, twice, and stood up. Yes, said Winnie the Pooh, I see now. I have been a foolish and deluded, he said, and I am a bear of no brain at all. You're the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin soothingly. Am I? said Pooh, hopefully. You see, Christopher Robin, in every Winnie the Pooh story, if you read them, the actual stories written by A.A. Milne, means safety to all the animals in the hundred-acre wood. Piglet says it so himself. But what I also love about this particular story is Christopher Robin sees them in their needs. And Pooh himself says, I am a bear of, with no brain at all. But Christopher Robin does not think less of them. While a silly old bear Pooh is, as Christopher Robin says, he is still the best bear in all the world. This illustration may seem silly, maybe simple, but it's true. It's true of our God. As David writes, he is safety to every person. And when he sees people in need, he still sees their worth and is mindful of them. God is a safe judge. Some of you may be in the midst of being oppressed, of needing justice to act on your behalf. Maybe you're struggling to believe these words. 
For you, what lies ahead is a battle to move the truths of what we're hearing today to be a comfort and a reality for your heart. Part of how you can begin to do this is to pray and sing this psalm in the coming week. Part of how you can do this is to pray through these things with another brother or sister in Christ. God has given us prayer and music as a means to solidify his truths in our hearts. For others of us, we may not be in a moment of oppression, but this does not excuse you or I from still singing out to God and praying for him to relieve the oppression of others. This week in your prayers, remember those who you may know that are in oppression. Sing this song, sing this song as a prayer to God asking for him to rescue those. Remember, he is a safe judge. Trust and do not doubt that he is at work in the world and able to bring about healing and restoration. It's sometimes able, it's sometimes hard, isn't it? to hear all the overwhelming sadness and oppression in the world, and I can just become overwhelmed saying, God, help. But this psalm is a testimony and a prayer that he is a safe and just God, and we can come to him asking for these things. However, maybe you sit here today and feel far from this God. You struggle to believe he is actually powerful enough to save us from our sin, or you struggle to believe that you truly need him or that he is powerful enough to rescue the oppressed. For you, please know, just as David, who wrote the psalm, knew that this loving and just God is pursuing you, and he is a loving and just God, either for those who, who have their justice borne upon Christ upon the cross, or for those who don't. I encourage you at least to explore what it would mean to entrust your life to him. There is a box in Johannesburg, South Africa. And this box is a place of sadness and helplessness. Because this box is a place where parents will regularly abandon a child. But it is also a place of safety and justice because this, see, this box has a name. It's called the hole in the wall. You see, this box is attached to Door of Hope, the very orphanage where Jason and Lisa will be leaving for this summer. And this box is a place where parents who already were planning to abandon a child can instead place them anonymously in this safe and place of justice. In this world of brokenness and sin, we ourselves are indeed children who both abandon and have been abandoned. But God has given a safe place for orphans who both sin and have been sinned against. He has come to right the wrongs and bring justice against those do wrong. We place our hope and trust in the one place we can, in the Lord our God, our Savior, a Lord who is just, a safe home for the oppressed. We must cry out to the safe and just judge, a home for the oppressed. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we put into practice the very thing now that this psalm would have us do. Lord, we pray for those who are oppressed. We pray for the helpless and needy. Maybe those who sit in this very congregation right now 
Lord, advocate for them. May their oppression come to an end. May you be a place, a safe haven for them. Lord, act on their behalf. But Lord, we also pray and rejoice, God, that you do bring justice against the wrongdoer, against those, Lord, who would seek to, for example, Lord, in, in my own life as I've struggled, for those who have sought to advance abortion in, in powerful ways, Lord, we, we pray for justice against these people. As scary as that prayer is, Lord, we pray it, but we pray it asking ultimately that the justice for these people might be borne by your son, Jesus Christ, as we pray that they place their hope and trust in you, that their life might be transformed and that they might be advocates for life. Lord, we pray for this and many other requests that stir in our hearts this very moment. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, if any of you are like me, then in your more honest moments, uh, you know that you at times contribute to the oppression and the injustice in the world. Uh, and so how good it is that we have a time like this on Sunday morning to come together uh, to reflect on Christ's mercy, on his loving kindness, on his graciousness to us. Um, so we have a chance to come together for this time of communion, to be nourished by Jesus. Um, and so this is a meal for those who have professed their faith in Christ, uh, for those who have been baptized in a Christian church. If this is not the case for you, we would ask you to hold off. Um, elders and deacons uh, in our church are passing out the elements. Uh, I would encourage you to talk to one of them after the service. Um, Ask them your questions, see what it would mean uh, to become baptized, to put your faith in Christ. Um, and then, then after that's been done, uh, we would invite you, uh, please take with us. Um. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take a moment to commune with the Lord as the elements continue to be distributed. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God uh, of justice uh, and that you are also a God of mercy. Uh, 
because, Lord, we know uh, that you have been merciful and gracious to us. And as we examine our hearts, we thank you for the many ways that your blood has covered our sins, uh, knowing that it will continue to cover our sins. Uh, and we rest uh, in your loving kindness for us. Uh, and we, we praise you and thank you uh, for your work on the cross, um, for your interceding on our behalf, uh, for your adoption uh, to us as sons and daughters. We praise you and thank you. Amen. Please stand as we respond singing Psalm 9, the hope of the poor. The Lord has heard our cry. The Lord has heard 
now this benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in peace. And it